Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. Alrighty, guys, we are here for the second episode of Moon Knight this week, which just came out as you're listening to this a couple of days ago. But before we hop into our reactions, and of course, your favorite, the theories related to this episode, we have a special guest on with us today, or with me today, since Katie was unable to record. So we have Davis, who you guys may remember from our Spider-Man debate episode. He's going to be filling in for Katie this week, um, and he's going to take it away with his initial reactions to the episode. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back on the podcast. I'm excited to to be back for a, another episode. But yeah, like right off the bat, I mean, first of all, I enjoyed, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the first episode a lot, but this episode, I had to keep pausing it as I was watching it because I wanted to replay certain scenes. And so I think that just, you know, goes to show how much I enjoyed this episode a lot. I think it, it, it's cool we got to see more of Moon Knight and we got to understand, you know, more of the backstory behind the lore, not only from, you know, the protagonist, but also the villain. So we got to hear how there's two gods, two Egyptian gods, who are sort of at odds against each other and have these avatars, as they refer to them in the show. And so it was really cool to see Moon Knight in action with those crescent moon weapons that he has. I don't think they have na- I don't think we know the names of them yet. But right off the bat, a lot more action in this and a lot more suspense and thrill. And I think they, they managed to explore a lot in, you know, just a 50-minute episode. So... Right off the bat, I think based on the first two episodes down, I could say this is probably one of the best Marvel shows, in my opinion. That in, in, in my personal opinion, I like this show the most, at least so far compared to the others. Wow, there is a lot to unpack there. I'm trying to decide exactly where I want to begin. I think I'll start with the one that struck me the first, and then I'll move towards kind of the back half of your statement. The first one was related to how Khonshu and Amit... I got it wrong last week, too. It's Amit. They are kind of opposing, as you point out, opposing Egyptian gods. But I think what was cool about this week is we understood that they're not just, like, two Egyptian gods that happen to be in the same pantheon and don't agree. No, they actually have opposing viewpoints of the same matter. So we talk about how Amit, we talked about this last week too, how she punishes people for the things that they haven't yet done, whereas Khonshu is all about punishing people for the things that they've already done. And so they have kind of opposing viewpoints on how to wield justice, I guess. Like I know the word justice was kind of like a big buzzword, I guess, within this episode. So they're opposing viewpoints on justice. And so I thought it was really interesting that now we're getting a better sense of like, Oh, they're not just two gods. They're two gods who have a very specific but opposing viewpoint on the same matter. So I think that's setting up like a really interesting moral conversation around this show that I think 
maybe was not, you know, not that we were felt that they were missing from some of the others, but some of the others just didn't have. So I'm really excited about that as well. Um, and the debates that I think we're going to have later on as the series continues. And then in terms of whether this is my favorite show so far. Yeah, like it is early. It's hard to say. It is. It is. It's hard to say. I really, I like the show. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it come across in any way that I don't. I obviously love Oscar Isaac. I think it's really one of the more beautiful shows that we've seen in terms of the cinematography and the way that the use of the mirrors is something that I pointed out last week as well, something that really is interesting to me. Yeah, like any reflective surface too. Like it's not just mirrors, like it's the gun, it's the bowl. I thought that was really interesting too. So it's not just mirrors. Maybe I was like, oh, it's a mirror dimension. Like, no, it's like any reflective surface is or surface is how Mark's able to get to Steven. Yeah, I think it's so cool. And the fact that, like, even when they're not talking to one another, they're always, like, you always see Oscar Isaac in a room with a mirror. Like, I don't think there's been, there's, maybe I can count on one hand the amount of shots where Oscar Isaac has been in a scene and there hasn't been some sort of reflective surface around him. So it's I think it's cool that, like, even when Mark and Steven are not interacting, like, the it, it sounds horrible to say this, and, like, I know we've been going back and forth on this show about how to talk about it, but the body itself that both Steven and Mark possess, or inhabit is always surrounded by reflective surfaces almost as like a reminder that like there's two people living within it at all times even though one may have stronger control over the other but I say all that to say I'm enjoying Moon Knight for me I'm a stickler for the things that I love and so we've talked about it in past episodes how this is the first show that does not have a character that's like from past MCU properties. And it's not that I think the show is lacking for it. It's just I feel a sense of nostalgia for the characters I know. So I'm excited to continue to get to know Moon Knight and eventually make him part of like the MCU that I know and love or as he integrates himself more. But there's still a little bit of like nostalgia for me for some of the characters that we're more familiar with. But all in all, still love the show. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a good I think that's a good point too. And also it is episode two so there is still a chance that we'll see old familiar faces but it could be exciting if all if they don't and they just introduce new characters as well so i think there's still a, there's still a chance but it, it, it's hard to especially i'm trying to think because if the show moon it's based in london right mm-hmm. so i'm wondering and then aren't there scenes from the eternals that take place there too so i'm wondering if like the old familiar face i'm doing air quotes are Eternals that will pop up in later episodes. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, that's it's so funny to me that you're filling in for Kate because that's like something she brings up in literally every episode. She's like, <laughs> I'm waiting for the Eternals to show up. So it's basically like she's here, but like in your body. She's there with you in spirit. But yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about is how the journalists who have seen the first four episodes have gotten the screeners have said that there are no references to outer mcu or the larger mcu in the first four episodes now there are six so that doesn't mean that it, you know he doesn't tie in potentially at the 11th hour totally possible i mean i could see obviously we're not going to get a celestial i would think but you know the same way that like scale wise there was a celestial at the end of eternals and it kind of put everything on his head and you're like oh my god there's a celestial on earth 
I don't think there's going to be a Celestial in Moon Knight, but I could see potentially the last scene of the show being something of that scale of surprise. Right. I don't know. Maybe. I kind of like the idea of having it completely separate. We've talked in the past about, you know, how it could potentially be setting up the Midnight Suns and things like that. So it will obviously eventually be integrated. Oscar Isaac is trying to make us all confused by saying he's not signed on for any more projects after that. That's a load of malarkey. Sure, sure, Oscar. Exactly. If it's not in his contract now... They're in negotiations. It'll be fine. I don't buy that for one second. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if it goes into future or how it ties into the MCU in the future, given that it has been so separate so far. But I think that's one of the things that, you know, ever since May, I'm trying to, I can't really pinpoint where I started thinking this. So I'm just going to say around, you know, the the second Joss Whedon Avengers movie. It seemed like once they had established the MCU, you know, the shared cinematic universe, they were every single movie that they put out, they were shoehorning references to other movies and other characters. And most of them worked, but I'm sure you can agree that sometimes the references felt a little forced. Oh, agree. Totally. And that's one of the things that when I was watching the Eternals, not to talk about the Eternals, um, but that was one of the things when I was watching, it's like, this is a chance to be totally separate and then they had that dinner table conversation where they're like, now that Iron Man's dead and Captain America, I don't know, Remember I don't know where this, maybe he's like. used to follow me around as a kid, like, what? Yeah, it's like, why, like, I understand you're trying to tie it to the MCU, but just having it be a Marvel movie, I feel like is enough of a tie. And so I'm like, with the Eternals, I'm like, that was a perfect opportunity to not mention, these are brand new characters to not mention or shoehorn any references in. Well, especially when the whole premise was about how it accelerated the Celestials coming out of Earth because of the snap and then the blip. So it, like, was delayed, and then it was rapidly accelerated when all the people came back. So, like, you're already tying it into the most intense and, like, important plot point of the last what's 2022, let me do the math, (laughs) 2008, of the last 14 years. So like, well, I guess at the time it was 2001. So subtract 113. Okay, great. Math. Yes. You know, of the last 13 years. So you didn't need the, to your point, all the small little references. Like it wasn't necessary. It's like the cheesy, the cheesy one-liners that's like, oh, we wanted to remind you, pause from all the mythology. We want to remind you, you're watching a Marvel movie. Exactly. And it's like, so... You know, would it be nice to see some familiar faces pop up at the end of Moon Knight? Sure. But I'm hoping that, like you said, like maybe in the 11th hour, in episode six, we get something. So I'm hoping it's till not till the very end that they tie it into everything. And so, because as of right now, I mean, I truly think it's probably one of the more original pieces of Marvel content that's come out, at least since the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I remember up until that point, Guardians of the Galaxy was like, they're in space. You know, up until that point, it would have been all on Earth. And so that's what made Guardians of the Galaxy so special, because it was so unique and it wasn't anything that we had seen before. And I get that feeling, at least through the first two episodes of Moon Knight, is you know you're watching a piece of Marvel content, but it's not like anything that we've seen before, which I think is really cool. So I hope they don't try to tie it in. But, I mean, they, they, they're they going to have to, right? Right. So, but I'm hoping that won't be till the very end. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I'm, I'm enjoying the, don't take this the wrong way, the break from some of the Taylor weight. Taylor likes the show so far. Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> but some of the, the break from some of the weight of, like, the full MCU, you know, and to your point of, like, forcing something, like, I think they finally were like, 
wait a minute, we don't have to try to force it in. Let's just tell a completely unique and original story. And that's kind of, not kind of, that is refreshing. And I also think, though, like, even though we have, like, the whole premise of the the gods, which obviously Thor and Loki and Odin are all gods, this is a completely different take on them. Mm -hmm. The idea that, like, the gods themselves have no, and this is something we learned in the episode today that I thought was super interesting, that they have very little effect on the physical world and that most people can't see them. So, like, the fact that all Khonshu can really do, besides, like, commanding Mark and giving him the powers and, and Steven, I guess is like create a little win it's like when you compare that to what thor can do like that's a completely different take on like a god's power on earth and the fact that they like have to use human avatars in order to do their bidding is very interesting and the whole and i'm gonna go off on a little tangent here basically into our next segment is the idea that arthur harrow used to be Conchu's avatar and now he's amit's avatar is so interesting to me. I was like, when he was having that whole conversation with Steven, I was like, my mind is like exploding right now. Yeah, he was able to predict what what Kanchu was saying. Yeah. It's like, oh, was he saying to kill me right now? And he's like, yeah, because like that he was telling the same thing, say, <laughs> him the same thing when he was his avatar. When, uh, is it Arthur? Yes. I, I don't think I ever picked up on his name. Arthur's probably been through the same stuff that Mark slash Steven is going through currently right now. So it is cool because like, he is the villain of the show, but he's pretty relatable. I mean, it's like he's morally sound, I think, to me. No, I mean, that's that's what I'm trying to pick up on is like, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Or is he simply just doing the bidding? Because up until this point, both him and Mark are just trying to do the gods bidding so they can be released. And it's also interesting that they're hinting that we're, I'm, I'm excited to figure out what exact what state or what caused Mark to be in so, like, he said he was close to death when Conchu saved him. So I'm wondering, you know, or I, I'm sure we'll figure that out and we'll see what happened. But it's it's interesting to see that, like, are they really good or bad? Or are they simply just puppets? So that's, that's an interesting topic. That really is. There's a lot to unpack there. First, obviously, being, like, how much free will do they have? Like, you know, obviously, Steven is able to resist Conchu. Mark, because he does not have the bargain that Mark does. Clearly, Mark, he has, he being Conchu, has something over Mark. Namely, you know, his life and then also the potential servitude of his wife. Which, by the way, we're going to have to talk about that because that one threw me. I was, like, not expecting them to actually be married. So that was interesting. Yeah. So there's, there's that. But then what's interesting about Arthur is he seems to be more willing like, even if it, you go back all the way to the first scene of the show, the fact that he, like, willingly puts the glass into his shoes and things like that, like, he doesn't seem like he's doing it because he struck a bargain with Ami. He seems like he's doing it because he genuinely believes in her, I don't want to call them teachings, but, like, in her... Like, philosophy? Yeah, in her philosophy. That's the exact word I'm looking for. In her philosophy. So, it's, like, the difference between, like, Mark, who's doing it out of a sense of, like, you know, he's trying to get something out of it and then be done versus Arthur, who, like, genuinely believes in it, which I think, like, I kept thinking about how, you know, last episode we talked about the idea of, like, 
punishing someone for something they haven't yet done is a very slippery slope. Last episode, we couldn't really pass judgment on on Arthur yet, you know, based on what he was saying and what he was talking to Stephen about. I think this episode, Arthur slips a little bit more into, like, the more radical camp, and you can kind of see that, like, he really believes that, like, these people deserve to die for these things that they haven't already done, and it's like, all right, now I kind of see a little bit more why he's the villain, because he's willing to kill innocent people for crimes that they haven't yet done, but, like, how are we sure that, like, Amit is not incorrect? Like, maybe she could re- like, she's not infallible, too, so what if you kill someone who up until this point has been innocent because you see in ten years they're gonna kill someone? So that, I thought, was an interesting progression in his characterization as well, as we kind of see that more radical side of him as a true believer of her philosophy. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to think about because I I like thinking about the string theory and how like one action could divulge you into a, like an alternate not an alternate reality but a different timeline. So it's interesting to think about because like up until this point, you know, most of the people that he Arthur's judging haven't done anything, but they will in the future. So it's like I guess the deity controlling him. What's I'm, I'm, I don't want to mispronounce her name. I think it's Amit. I'm bad with names. Amis. I Amis. just got Arthur's down today, and I was really proud of myself. So, but it's also, too, just because Amit sees in the future that they're going to do something wrong, Charles judges them by the tattoo and says, you know, you deserve to die because you commit a crime or you do something in the future that's bad. But who knows, because that person the next day could have an interaction or have something happen in their life that changes the trajectory of their life. So say down the road they kill someone in one state, but then something happens, fate intervenes, and they decide not to do something or they meet someone and they decided to go to a different state. Obviously, they won't kill anyone because they didn't go to the state where they would kill someone. And it's this is too – I'm reading too far into it. But it's like can you honestly think – judge someone based on their actions that they haven't done because this deity is telling you – that they're going to do something wrong in the near future, in the near future, in the far future. So I understand punishing people who have done wrong. And I guess that's why the protagonist is, you know, with Mark and with Steven and with Conchu. And then the antagonist is obviously, you know, Arthur and Amit. But that's, that's, I'm trying to distinguish between the two because up until this point, it seems like. I don't know. Like he's like it's a vengeful god versus like a future looking god. Yeah. I it's 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 complicated because like I understand, you know, the greatness of creating a a village where everyone inside it is pure and they don't have to lock their doors and they can trust each other. Utopia. But I don't I think the way Arthur's going about it is a wrong way to get there. Well, and who's to say too, like when you were talking about like how one interaction can like change someone's whole life, who's to say that that one interaction of Arthur saying to them, you're going to, you know, do something bad in your future, like if that were me, I'd be like, oh my god, I'm never going to do anything bad in my entire life because now I'm afraid. Like, oh yeah, like I'll never interact with that person. Right? So like, who's to say that that simple interaction with Arthur wouldn't set them on a completely different path to do good or maybe learn ahead of time what they might do that's bad and avoid the situation and then they don't need to die. So there are definitely ways around like Amit's methodology that I think show the flaws within it besides just, you know, killing people for things that they haven't yet done. And I think I 
see the pros and cons of Amit's methodology or ideology. We're we still we're still struggling to find the right word for it, but because with you know with Kanchu he kills people who have already done crimes, right? So if you know uh, a robber kills the person he's robbing, the person's dead. The person who got robbed is dead. There's nothing that can really be done about it. So Kanchu killing the robber sure is justice and it's ven- revenge. But it's not righting any wrongs. It's not bringing the person who got robbed back to life. But Amit is killing the bad person before they do the bad thing to the good person. And so from that perspective, I understand how these the people who follow Arthur, the people who are in this village, can be misguided. Because they're like, well, if he kills someone who would five years down the road kill me, why not? Like, I understand where Arthur gets his following from. Because, you know, obviously killing people before they do a bad thing is morally good, but it's also morally bad. Because you're preventing crime, you're preventing murder in the future, but you're also killing someone. And um, I think Stephen mentions this, where he's like, you're killing innocent people. Because, yes, in the present day, when they're getting judged, or you're judging innocent people, they haven't done anything. So I think that's the, the moral dilemma Quick sidetrack, now I'm thinking about it, with the tattoos. Everyone inside that village has the tattoos, and so I'm assuming only Arthur can judge them, right? Yeah, I think it has something to do with the power in the cane, Mm -hmm. because he always holds up the cane in the hand and it kind of swings. So I think he's, because he's technically, to my understanding, her only avatar. But I'm glad you brought this up, because I want to circle back to the Arthur-Avatar conversation, because I think my biggest question right now is where did the conversion happen? Like, obviously, he must have been a follower of Khonshu. Well, he says that, so we know that. But at what point and for what reason does he stop being a follower of Khonshu and become a follower of Ami? Also, subplot to that, how is she bestowing powers upon him and guiding him in his, shall we call it a pilgrimage, if she is not... Like, they don't know where her body is. Like, you see Khonshu, and he's, like, in Steven's ear, and he's talking to Mark, and he's, like, there, but not there. But, like, we never see Ami. Not yet. So, I'm curious about how she's, like, doing all of this from some as-yet-undisclosed location. I mean, that's what I was confused on, because he uses the cane's power to open a portal to who knows where and have the jackal crawl out of the ground. So I don't know if that's just purely summoning the jackal or it has something to do with her location being underground and maybe there's like a whole network underground. So I guess what I was confused on, so I guess for clarification, if you picked up on this, Arthur, his whole plan is to use the scarab as a compass to find the resting place of a meat to free her. And I guess we don't know how he's going to free her. But I'm wondering, maybe is it Kanchu that put her in the prison that she's in? Because he's like, why are you killing people before they've done... His whole thing is killing people after they've done the bad deed. So maybe it's Kanchu, which is why he's so adamant about keeping the scarab away. Because he's the one that put Amit in this prison or wherever she's being kept and, you know, is needed to be freed. So maybe that's the dynamic, too, later down the road, where these two gods maybe will face off against one another... Because maybe Conchu's the one who put her there, wherever that may be. And I guess we'll find it's somewhere in Egypt because that's where, well, it's now Mark. It's no longer Stephen in the real world. Now Stephen's in the mirrors and Mark's on the outside. Mark wakes up in Egypt. So I'm assuming it's somewhere in Egypt. Yes. 
So going back to your idea of Khonshu being the one who put Amit in her whatever her prison looks like prison. Interesting thought, but I will say it sounds like, based on what Arthur was saying in the last episode, and even what he makes a comment about Khonshu in this episode, I don't know if you remember in the first... Okay, let me let me take this all the way back. In the first episode, Mark talks... Not Mark, sorry. Stephen talks about the poster of the gods. He says there's seven and there's supposed to be nine. And I believe he calls them the Aeneid. And there's like apparently a pantheon of Egyptian gods. Now, my understanding based on what Arthur said in episode one was that it was actually these gods who banished Ami. And then he makes a comment in this episode about how Khonshu was also cast out. So I'm wondering if the pantheon of gods has decided that their version of justice that's killing people is not the way they want to go about it. Like, perhaps they made the decision as a pantheon. (gasps) I just had a thought. Ooh, ooh. Light bulb. Light bulb moment. Yes! But perhaps they decided they don't want to have any type of justice, whether it be pre-crime or post-crime, that kills a living being and rather judge them upon their death. Because isn't the idea, and I'm really pulling from my middle school history class. Yeah, like we all learned about Egypt and Egyptian culture back in middle school. I, I, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. But isn't there a god, and I want to say it's Osiris, who weighs the heart on the scale. So there is a god who judges people after death. And now we're learning about two gods. And I'm going to make sure Katie does all this research in the blog for you guys in case I am really speaking out of the wrong side of my mouth here. I mean, it sounds correct to me. Okay, good. That makes me feel a little better. But now we have two gods who are judging people and killing people before their time. So three judgmental gods. But the reason I gasped a few minutes ago is Stephen specifically says that the poster has seven gods, mm-hmm. but that there should be nine. Well, seven, nine minus seven is two. Guess what two gods were cast out? Amit and Khonshu. Do I think that's a coincidence? No. I think there were originally nine. I think they were cast out. And that's why there are two gods missing from that poster. That is just a thought. It's a deep cut that I had that popped into my head. I feel good about everything I just said. I don't know why. Yep, we'll double down on it. And if she's wrong, you can comment and on Twitter and let her know. Yes, please um, do. <laughs> don't be shy. But I think it's interesting because your point, I think the whole, I mean, not to get into religion, but, you know, gods are usually supposed to act as guiders and shepherds, people who to guide people to, you know, do good. So I'm wondering if the seven cast the two out because the seven believed you know, if someone is on the path to doing something wrong, you can guide them away from that path onto a different one. Or if someone commits a crime, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some worse than others, but if they do something wrong, that doesn't necessarily that they mean that they can't be quote unquote saved and, you know, convert their life and do good. So I'm wondering if they cast, you know, a meat and Kanchu out because they were the ones that wanted to take direct action, kill before it happens or kill after it happens. But these seven gods are like, wait, no, like, especially for the people who haven't committed any crimes yet, you know, there's ways to guide them towards a better life and away from the path that would take them to make to committing that crime. So I'm wondering if, you know, they just, they both disagree. I mean, obviously, you know, Amit and Kanchu's viewpoints vary, 
But at the end of the day, they still want to serve justice by killing and that the other seven gods disagree. So I'm wondering if that's maybe why they got cast out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's hopefully, I mean, I'm I'm hoping it's something that we'll get an answer to. But I think right now, that seems like a very logical argument. I mostly agree with it because it was mine. (laughs) So I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. But yeah, so I think, you know, based on the the knowledge that we have so far, I think that could be something that we will see play out is, you know, maybe, maybe not flashbacks. Maybe there will be flashbacks of like what actually happened, why there are seven now instead of nine. I think it would be interesting to understand that to get a little bit more insight into the gods and their thought process and also their organization, not like their like formal organization, but like how they function and like all of those things, because We've never seen gods quite like these in the MCU before, so I would definitely not mind a little bit more background on them for sure. Yeah, and I think it's it's some of my favorite scenes so far are the ones where they play with the idea of is this god really real? Is it right there or is it not? Where it's the hall like the two. I mean, I guess the the scene in this ep- week's episode is also a hallway. But in episode one, where he's on the elevator and he sees down the hall and the lights are flickering and the god is slowly moving towards him. That w- it's such a cool scene and it's so suspenseful. And so I love how it's shot. And there's another parallel scene in this week's episode where he's in the storage uh, facility and the lights are flickering on and off. And this, this object is getting closer and closer to him. I just love that aspect of it. So I'm hoping we get more scenes like that where you know, the gods are more prevalent and maybe they'll face off against one another, whether that's, you know, them fighting each other themselves or fighting through Arthur or through Mark slash Steven. But I think there's so, at least I, I guess we haven't seen Amit yet, but Kanchu is scary. so cool to look at. It's scary. The voice is great. Uh, every time the, he speaks, I think James Earl Jones, obviously it's not him, but it's another low booming voice. And so every time you, I just, I just think James Earl Jones, even though it's not obviously, but there's, they're well designed and I, not to nitpick the first episode, but there's a scene or two where it's noticeably bad CGI. I'm not sure if you guys talked to that, touched on that in the last episode. Oh, definitely. Uh, especially during the high, the car chase scene, <laughs> terrible CGI. But in this week's episode, it was noticeably better. Yeah. And it was a agreed. lot better, especially with the suit and the action scenes. And so, and the design of the god uh, of Kanchu. So I'm hoping we get more Kanchu action because I think it's such an interesting character because he's there, but he's not there. You know, the people can't see who this, like, they just say, oh, he's a, who is that guy? Is he okay? Is he mentally ill? No, he's just a drunk because Mark's fighting the jackal, but no one can see. Yeah. So it's interesting to play with that dynamic. And I guess that's what the show has been built on so far as like, what's real, what's not, what's a dream, what's not a dream. So I think that's a really cool concept that I think that's probably why I enjoyed the the show so much so far is because you genuinely don't know what's correct, what's false, what's real, what's not. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic that they could most definitely play with as the show goes on. For sure. Speaking of what's real and what's not real, I think we get a little bit more of a glimpse into Stephen and Mark's relationship this week. And there are a few tidbits that Mark throws out, because as we've discussed in the past, Mark is clearly the one who knows the most. Stephen, up until the events we see in episode one, completely in the dark. My guy has no clue what's going on. Yep. Now he's starting to 
I don't want to say understand because I think he's still just scratching the surface, but he's getting a little more agency. And it causes Mark to kind of become flustered and, and reveal a few things. Like, one, there's always been a, I've, one of them has always been able to put up a wall between the two of them to keep them separate. For whatever reason, the wall is coming down. Here's my question. How long has the wall been there? Have they always occupied the same body? Where did Steven come from? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about more why I feel this way. Because Mark has a wife. Your husband turning into another human being on a semi-regular basis, I mean, I'm not a wife, so I am not the expert in this particular relationship scenario. Neither am I. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that should my husband turn into another person on a semi-regular basis, I would know. Poor Layla seems confused as all get out about why Mark now thinks he's Steven. So that to me says, this is a relatively recent phenomenon. Now, take it back to episode one. Layla says, you've been missing for months, Mark. I've been trying to get a hold of you. This has only been happening for a few months. Now, Mark says to Steven, going back, we've always been able to put up a wall, but now, for whatever reason, we can't keep the wall up. Is he saying now, as long as the two of us have been occupying this body, okay, where was Steven before a few months ago? Did getting together with Conchu or, like, making his bargain with Conchu create Steven? Or was Steven the original being in the body, and when Conchu saved Mark, did that put Mark in Steven's body? These are the questions that I have, because they still look alike, and Mark still looks like Steven. Yep. So, at one point, there were two of them? Question mark? Or no? I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, that's that's what I'm also confused on, because it, it, it seems like Steven can't choose when he talks to Mark. And throughout the second episode, Mark becomes more prevalent in the reflections. But at least through the first episode and, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes into the second, it seems like sometimes Mark's there in the reflection, sometimes he's not. I don't think Steven can really choose when he sees and talks to Mark, but towards the, like, at the end of the episode, it seems like Mark is showing up in almost every reflective surface, whether it's the gun, the bull, the, the bus. So I'm wondering, too, because they look similar, they're always dressed the same way. That's I'm also confused on your end, too, because it's not like it's like a totally separate person. Obviously, Mark appears to be, you know, a lot more muscular and suave and confident, and so I'm wondering, are they, if they're the same person, is Steven the original occupier, but Mark is just the confident, stronger side or stronger personality of Steven? Because I think, I think they're one person, but however it works with the whole avatar and choosing and controlling might have separated the weak and timid from the strong and confident, the weak and timid Stephen, the strong and confident Mark. So I'm wondering if it's just, and again, this whole episode has been based on like, is it just a split personality thing? Is Stephen, when he sees Mark, is Mark who Stephen wishes he was? So he looks in the reflection and sees Mark, sees the confident person he wishes he were, Obviously not because they talk to each other and obviously Mark knows a lot more about the situation than Steven. And so it seems like they've lived totally two different lives. But like you said, recently within, you know, maybe three or four months, it's definitely not been, it's only months time that this has been occurring. 
I'm just kind of rambling at this point, so I'm, I'm just as confused as you are. Yeah, one thing you said, though, did trigger something in me, and that was the idea that, like, they're so polar opposite. Like, last week we kind of touched on this, but I don't think I was able to fully crystallize it until you said that. The idea that, like, when they... When Arthur held Stephen's hand, he could not be judged because he was the he was trying to judge both Stephen and Mark. Stephen the innocent, and then Mark, who's Mark, but killer exactly. Not only are they innocent and guilty, they're timid and strong, or like you know, name a set of adjectives, and they are antonyms. There we go. It's like I know there's a word for that, and they are antonyms. Yes, right. So I'm wondering to your point, if this, let's go on the premise that Mark is the original owner of the body. That's, I think, what I'm starting to believe just based on his relationship with Layla. I would have to think that that's not something you can hide from your spouse long term. Oh, no, absolutely not. So let's say Mark is the original owner of the body. Something happens with Conchu, or he, we know he at some point is close to death. Perhaps, as part of his bargain with Khonshu, he is required to forego the weaker parts of what Khonshu would deem the weaker parts of his personality, aka everything that becomes Steven, in order to be, like, the Moon Knight killing machine that he needs to enact Khonshu's justice. But instead of, like, getting rid completely of Steven, Steven's attributes, he kind of, like, creates another, what does Katie call them, another altar within himself that is all of those what Conchu would deem negative qualities, which is why he calls Steven the idiot. And then even in this episode, Conchu was saying, like, you told me you could, like, he wouldn't get in the way. And so it's almost like Steven is, like, protecting this, like, softer side of him from the evil god Conchu. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I definitely agree with you. I mean, that's definitely plausible. While you were talking, I was thinking, so was it Mark who was saved by Conchu, or was it Stephen who was, like, close to death got, that got saved? Mark. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's... I, there, there was an old... There was a play that I was in in middle school called Heaven Can Wait, where basically this soul is taken from a body too soon. The guy got in an accident, and the angels took the soul out of his body too soon before, like... Because they just like, oh, he's dead. He got an accident. He's dead. We got to take his soul up to heaven. But the angels took the soul up to heaven too soon because he would have lived. But they can't put his soul back into his body. So they decide to put it into another person's body. So I'm wondering, we don't know how the situation works or what happened. But Mark, something happened. He's close to death. He's dying. And for whatever reason, his spirit gets lifted out of its body, maybe by Kanchu. Something with Egyptian Egyptian god sourced pulls the soul out of his body too soon is like and they realize they they messed up and they try to put it back in and they put it in back into a more timid shy weaker body whether it's the same person whether it's a different person it maybe or maybe when they decided to bring him back down to earth because they need someone on earth to physically do their bit can't you need someone physically to do their bidding on earth they're like oh shoot we got to put this guy back Either they put Mark Strong, confident, suave soul back in the weak, timid, shy body of Stephen, or basically when the soul was brought back. To, I mean, this is totally bananas and obviously probably is not true, but it's just weird to think about. So maybe when they brought it back down, it's like, oh, shoot, we took him to assume we need someone on Earth. Then that way that, you know, bringing him back 
created the separation or maybe they put the strong, confident Mark back in the week, Tim and Steven, and that's that. And that's how, I mean, hopefully they shed some light on how exactly that happened. But I think it, it was interesting to note how Conchu was like, you were pretty much dead when I saved you. And that's basically why Mark is doing this Conchu's bidding because Conchu saved his quote unquote, saved his life. And so he's eternally grateful so I don't know. That's obvious. That way a huge tangent, and probably doesn't make any sense. But it was interesting to think about. No, I was following. I really do. To your point, I want to know how Mark and Stephen became Mark and Stephen, and not just like what I'm going to assume was at one point just Mark. Right. Because even um, this is the last bit of proof that I'm going to go with. My Mark was the original alter theory when Stephen talks about his flat and he brings Layla there and he's like it's my mom's flat and she's like wait you're talking to your mom again this was something that Katie and I pointed out last week was that he's never actually talking to his mom he's just leaving a voicemail so it's entirely possible that she's not actually picking up the phone because she and Mark don't talk but it's Stephen doesn't realize that because he probably has the same memory some of the same memories as Mark Although I don't know how that would work because he clearly thinks he's English and he calls Mark the little American inside me, which is so funny. I was like crying when he said that. (laughs) So I don't know exactly how that would work, but I do think it's like another clue, like another breadcrumb saying like Mark was the original alter. It's like originally Mark's body and Steven is the new guy in town. Yeah. And I I think, I mean, a further piece of evidence of that is you know, Mark's cell phone and key to the storage shed is in one of the walls of Steven's flat. And so when Steven goes to, like, follow up on the key, obviously goes to Mark's storage shed, which has the bag full of money and passport and gun. So I think that's, like you said, that's further proof of, you know, maybe... But that's so confusing because it it can't be a coincidence that he's like, oh, this is my mom's flat, and then his wife... It's like, oh, you're talking to your mom. That that's that can't be a coincidence. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's, you know, proof still proof that they're two that they're the same person. But I also think having Mark's stuff be in Steven's flat and have it be real is I think I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's it's a weird thing to think about, but I definitely agree with you. I think Mark is the original body because and at least in the first episode, and I think in the second, they're like, oh, no, the idiot's back. Oh, the fool's back. Like, get out of the way. So I'm thinking, like, from the beginning, it was Mark and it was Conchu, And they were together, you know, killing, avenging the people, uh, killing people who did wrong. And then somehow, we don't know, Stephen got added to the mix. Because it seems like Mark and Conchu worked together really well. And it's Stephen that's the problem. It's Stephen is the one who's getting in the way. Because they're always just like, oh, he's back. And Mark's like, always like, give me your body back, Steve. Like, so I'm, I think that the Kanchu and Mark are a tag team duo. And somehow, some way, Steven got added to the mix. And that is a perfect segue into the second to last thing I want to talk about in this episode. And that is Mr. Knight. Because I think it's so interesting. And this is something I was pondering on this week as we were getting closer to the episode. You know, in all of the promos we've seen, well, clearly there was Mark and Steven. Like, they never hid that from us. We mm-hmm. knew that the, that Oscar Isaac was playing two people. And then, obviously, in the promos, we also saw Moon Knight and we saw Mr. Knight. 
And I probably should have put this together earlier, but over the last week, I've been ruminating, and I thought to myself, huh, well, we know that Mark is to Moon Knight. There's not an analogy there until later, so let me rephrase that. Mark and Moon Knight are the same. Like, Mark is Moon Knight. Right. But then I was like, but that leaves Stephen, and that also leaves Mr. Knight. So I kind of was starting to put together the idea that, like, Mr. Knight was Stephen using Conchu's power. So I was really proud of myself. I did not voice that, so I have no proof (laughs) at all that that was ruminating in my head, but I swear to you all it was. And so when he comes out and (laughs) there's Mr. Knight, it was so funny to see him in this, like, three-piece suit as Steven with all of the power, and I was just, like, cackling. It was great. Well, it's interesting because it's, yeah, like, it's all the powers of Moon Knight. But none of the finesse. But it's Steven's meekness, timidness, and when he finally, you know, sucker punches the jackal, his little celebration was just so cool. He's, like, so proud of himself because, like, honestly... Just based on, I mean, the whole first episode was basically pointing out and painting Steven as this loser, this outcast, this weak guy. And so finally, him punching the jackal could quite possibly be the first time he's ever stuck up for himself in his life. Yeah. And so, like, it, it, it was him and Moon Knight in the suit, so I guess Mr. Knight gave me very large Deadpool vibes. Oh, yes, yes. That's who I was getting, the Deadpool, especially with the mask and the eyes. So it's interesting to think about how, like, now I guess there's three or four characters sharing the same body. There's Steven, there's Mark, there's Mr. Knight, and there's Moon Knight. Well, I guess in my head, Mark and Moon Knight are the same body. Like, it's like the way that, like, Steve is Captain America, but he's not Steve and he's not Captain America. Like, Steve is Captain America. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like... Yeah, it's very one-sided. Well, in the sense that, like, it's not two different people in and out of the suit. Right? Right. Even, like, Tony and Iron Man. Like, he's not a different person when he steps in the Iron Man suit than he is as Tony Stark. So, to me, it's more like two people, but then, like, in two different parallels. It's, like, them as human beings, and then them as in, like, Conchu's avatar. Like, I guess they're they're his avatar all the time, but, like, using the powers bestowed by Conchu. Like, they're, like, two parallels. It's kind of like Bruce Banner to the Hulk. Uh, I mean, up until Infinity War... Obviously, because then they did Professor Hulk, but yeah, like in the in the in the first several appearances in the MCU that we see of the Hulk, it's like Bruce Banner, the scientist, Hulk, the rage monster. Obviously, Hulk, the rage monster, isn't Bruce Banner, and Bruce Banner isn't. But of course, well, I guess he's back to being Bruce Banner because in the after credit scene of or the mid credit scene of uh, scene of Shang Chi, he's seen in a hologram in a sling, and he's back to his Bruce Banner persona so i guess they're back to that yes but it, it kind of like what we're talking about how like you know captain america puts on the suit clint puts on the suit becomes hawkeye but it's still clint inside the hawkeye costume it's still steve inside the captain america costume whereas these two are totally separate personalities but then each still putting on their own costume right so i'm wondering because like or is it the same thing is you know when steven is mr knight you know he's still steven and mark is still mark when he's moon knight but then there's those two that's separate... What, that was, that's what I was trying to say, and probably didn't say it well at all. Okay. Yes, so if we're talking, like, Mark is, like, I'm gonna... I was gonna use Captain America, but his first name is Steven, so that wouldn't work either. So, because that would get confusing. So we're gonna say, like, Mark is, like, Clint, and then Moon Knight is Hawkeye. Or Stephen Grant is Clint, and then Mr. Knight is Hawkeye. Like, it's, like, their superhero persona is still them within the suit, 
but Mark and Steven are still two separate people. So it's like we've got two separate men and then two separate superheroes yes, based gotcha. on which man is using the powers at the time slash has control of the body at the time. Yeah, so maybe to go back to my earlier example, so like Bruce Banner is Steven slash Moon Knight, the Hulk is Mark slash Moon Knight. That makes sense. Because, like, Steven's weak and timid, but then becomes Mark and is strong. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because, like, Ragnarok told us they were two different people. So, like, actually, that's the best analogy, really, is that Steven is Bruce. Even in Moon Knight form, he's still Bruce. Yeah. And then Mark is very much the Hulk in all forms. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. I like that. All right. I had one more thing that I wanted to bring up. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, yes. Predictions moving forward. What are your thoughts for, you can keep it to just episode three, or you can do episode three and beyond, your call, shoot a few, you've given us a few already, but what are your thoughts? I think that's hard, and that question is probably the most hard to ask about this show specifically compared to shows in the past, because I genuinely don't really know where it's going, which is why I like it so much. Because in my opinion, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was kind of predictable. But this show, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. But I assume they're going to spend the next episode venturing around Egypt. And it's going to be... I'm not quite sure what Mark slash Steven are going to be up to. But I know Arthur and Amit are obviously... Or Arthur's obviously... His whole goal next episode is probably to get to wherever Amit's being imprisoned. So I think prediction-wise, what I really want to happen is I want the two gods, when Amit finally gets released, which will probably not happen until at least episode 5, but I want Amit and Kanchu to fight, and I think that would be a cool thing to see, like just the two gods going at it, and then have it also be Mark versus Steven fighting each other. My prediction is that I think Mark might turn to be the villain of the show, maybe. Ooh, hot take, hot take, hot take! Because Mark, he's confident, he's obviously got this dark side, he obviously has no problem with killing people. Not to mention, he's not with Kanchu because he believes that Kanchu's right, he's with Kanchu because he made a deal. Right. That means his alliances and his allegiance to Kanchu are weak. Up and until the point at which Kanchu fulfills his side of the bargain, in which case Mark is no longer indebted to him. Or when Mark fulfills his side of the bargain, in which case he's no longer indebted. Yeah, so I think maybe maybe what will happen, I'm guessing we'll see maybe towards the end of the show, Mark's wife becomes Moon Knight. So I'm assuming we're going to see maybe Mark get released from his his servitude. And what's his wife's name? I'm totally blanking. Layla. And Layla becomes Moon Knight at the end of the show, or something of that nature, which I think is a pattern that Mark, or sorry, that Marvel is doing with, you know, with She-Hulk. And I think there's future plans for the next Iron Man type character to be female as well. Jane Foster as Thor. Let's not forget about Jane. Anyway, so I'm guessing at the end of the, at the end of the season, I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen in the next episode. So I'm just going to talk about what I think the show will be about moving forward. I think that obviously Amit will be released. And I, I'm guessing that Arthur is severely underestimating Amit's power. And once she gets released, she will be the big bad and Arthur will come to the realization that what he's been doing has been wrong and morally unsound. And he's going to, you know, realize that he's been doing all these terrible things 
for a meet who once released is probably just going to be like, all right, get out of here. You were a pawn in my game. And now that you've released me, I'm going to go out into the world and wreak havoc. And Arthur's going to realize that it's his fault that she gets released. So I'm guessing he might kind of turn in the cane and all that stuff and kind of realize he was doing the wrong thing once she gets released. And then the, then, you know, obviously Kanchu and Mark slash Steven will have to to defeat Amit at the end. But it is interesting, too, how the roles have switched in this episode, where now it's Mark who's outside of the mirrors, and it's Steven who's trapped inside. So I'm guessing for the next episode, that will continue. And I think for episode three and maybe four, it will be more of the Moon Knight slash Mark story. And we'll see those two, Moon Knight and Mark primarily, and we'll only get glimpses of Steven. So Steven will kind of be, his character will be put to the back burner, at least for maybe the next episode or two. And we'll truly get, we'll get more background on Mark's history. Why was he almost dead that Kanchu saved him? What happened there? Hopefully we get some more Moon Knight action scenes, especially with him throwing the Crescent Moon weapons, because I think those are so cool. So all in all, like, I, I don't think anything that I've said is anything concrete, because I think this show so far has really kept us on our toes. And so it's kind of hard to answer the question of like, what 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 are my predictions for the next episode and the end of the season? Because I truly don't really know. So it'd be interesting to see what your predictions are. Yeah, I'm going to start with your last one, which was the idea that we're going to see more of Mark in episode three. This was something Katie and I talked about last time we were in episode off. So we talked about last week how Mark sorry, not Mark, Steven was kind of the main character and we see a lot through Steven's perspective. And then what's interesting is about halfway through this episode or a little more than halfway through this episode, to your point, it switches and now it's from Mark's control, Mark's perspective. And I, again, to your point, think we're going to continue that in episode three. So now, like you said, we're going to get, you know, more of Mark's background, hopefully a little bit more detail on how he and Kanchu kind of made their bargain and all of those things. What will be interesting is, you know, we talked a lot about the idea of the mirrors and reflections. And so if you think this is a six episode series that can be put into two sets of halves, by that I mean the first three episodes, the last three episodes is one set of halves. So in the first three episodes, it could be more about Stephen and Mark, learning about them, their relationship, and the last three really focused on Amit and her as the big bad and her as the real antagonist, because I think none of us, to your point, really think that Arthur is, like, the match for them, or them being either Moon Knight or Mr. Knight, if he ever kind of learns how to fight a little bit. We, I don't think anybody really thinks he's, like, the end-all be-all. He is but a vessel for Amit. That I totally agree with. So that's what I think kind of the last three episodes are going to center on. So we've already got that split, that reflection, if you will. First three episodes, last three episodes. Then if you're splitting the first three episodes into a reflection of themselves, you can literally do the first episode and a half about Steven and the last episode and a half about Mark. So I kind of like how everything is settling into halves and reflections of itself, of itself because it really expands the metaphor of the reflective services and the reflections that we see throughout 
the movie, and I'm going to take off my AP English hat now and put on my Marvel fan hat. There we go. But that was my little diatribe for the evening. And then in terms of just moving forward, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. Like I said, I think that Amit's going to end up being the big bad. I, to your point, think that Arthur is kind of going to have a moment where he's like, I was wrong. She's actually worse than Kanchu. Should not have meddled in this. Like, this was not good. <laughs> However, I do not think that Layla is going to take up the mantle of Moon Knight. I think that just knowing, you know, the characters that are on the horizon, we touched on this in past episodes, the idea that Midnight Suns, I think, is closer than we think. That's Moon Knight, my understanding is that's Moon Knight, Mark Spector, Moon Knight. So I do not think that they would have Layla because I think there are grander plans for this iteration of the character. Mm -hmm. I do think he's going to expand into perhaps that franchise as they begin to build it out and bring those heroes, heroes, anti-heroes, whatever you want to call them, because they're all kind of in the... In the gray areas, that's kind of where they all operate. But I think when they start to bring them together, I think Mark and Moon Knight are going to be an integral part of that. So I think he's going to continue with the mantle. But I was pretty much aligned with everything else that you said moving forward. I think it's a little too early to make these grand predictions with any sense of certainty, like you said. I feel confident in the idea that we're going to follow Mark a little bit more. I'm excited that next episode is going to be in Egypt. That is a place that I don't believe we've gone in the MCU before. No, I don't think so. Unless it was one of the ancient civilizations that was touched upon in the Eternals. But I don't believe it was because I know they were in Mesopotamia, but I don't think they were also in Egypt. So excited about this new location, excited to explore how they bring that to life visually on screen. So I think we're in for a good one next week, and I'm super, super excited. Yeah. No, I agree. It'll definitely be cool. I mean, especially because a character like this has never occurred in the MCU before. But it'll be interesting to not only have a brand new character and plot lines, but also a new environment and a new, to put it loosely, like a new sandbox to play with or to play in, you know? Because I'm just picturing, you know, the really cool shot of Moon Knight sliding down the side of a pyramid or... I don't know. I think there's so there were so many cool things and so many cool fun elements of Egyptian culture and, you know, geography in Egypt that they can play with that I hopefully will come to fruition. But like you said before, it would be definitely exciting cuz we don't really know what's going to happen in episode 3, but what they've built up to so far is definitely something that like we really, really are excited to see play out in, in the next, I guess, final four episodes. Yeah, well, that is all of the things that I wanted to touch on for episode two. Is there anything else outstanding that you want to chat about before we call it a day? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think, we again, similar to you, like, I'm pretty sure we, I talked about everything that I wanted to to talk about. Yeah, the only thing that I noticed was that in the first two episodes, there have been upside down shots distinct upside down shots yeah and so i'm curious to see if that will be a theme in all the episodes and if it's hinting towards something because there uh i think the first one in the first episode was a reflection of the pool and then in the second one it kind of turned to go upside down as mark was entering the mu or as steven was entering the museum 
So I'm, I mean, that's purposeful. Filmmakers do think shots like that on purpose. Like in Black, that shot in Black Panther in the throne room, mm-hmm. when Killmonger takes the throne, that's obviously meant to show that Wakanda has now been turned on its head. It's a visual and metaphorical representation of that. Like that was obviously done intentionally. So yes, sorry. I just, I love that example. It's one of my favorite shots in the entire MCU, the Black Panther shot. So oh, yeah. when you start bringing up the upside down shots, I was like, oh my God, I get to bring it up again. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So I'm, I, I mean, that's again, basically one camera movement tells a story in Black Panther because obviously like, damn, things are going south. But yeah, I'm wondering if those two upside down shots mean anything. I, cer- I certainly think they do, but maybe that something's lurking upside down. So maybe that's underneath the ground or I I really don't know, but I'm definitely curious to see if those two shots mean anything in the next episode or just in the season as a whole. So that was really the only thing that I, that I had in my notes uh, that I wanted to bring up because I thought it was interesting because they happen in two separate episodes. So I, I wonder what they're doing with that. Awesome. Well, thank you, my guy, for filling in for Katie this week. Of course, of course. Happy as always. Anytime. Yes. And we'll, we'll have you on in the future again, I am sure. If you'd like to catch this guy on future episodes, you can give us a subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you know whenever we have new episodes, whether that's me and Kate, Kate and Davis, me and Davis, whatever the mix happens to be that week, usually me and Kate, just FYI. That way you know when we have new episodes. You can also follow our blog. Like I said, Katie does a little extra research on those for things that we just don't have offhand when we go to record. So there's lots of extra information on there for you guys. So definitely give that a check out as well. You can also follow us on our Spotify page for playlists related to each of the different series. So if you're looking for specific series, you can find playlists for those on there, as well as one big playlist for all of the songs that are available on Spotify that are in the MCU shows and movies. And last but not least, you can follow us on Twitter at Let's Talk MFT. Katie runs that like a well-oiled machine and loves, loves, loves to interact with you guys, sharing all kinds of theories, rumors, confirmations, and all kinds of good stuff. It has been another wonderful week of Moon Knight. We have another great episode for you guys next week once we have seen episode three. Today, as we are recording this on a Wednesday, Multiverse of Madness tickets went on sale. So hopefully you guys got those because I got mine. So did I. (laughs) Now that movie is officially one month away. So we'll be ramping up coverage for that as well. And as always, Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it. Thank you.